suspicions <laughs> and what about fat shaming and so I think we'll start out with um, um, Jason's embarrassing story about suspicions about me I'm not going to start with mine was your idea <laughs> oh okay I can start it too you tell yours first we had a tad of a suspicious moment tonight which um, we took care of in due time and it turned out to be nothing to be worried about but you know Suspicion is a human nature, and psychologically speaking, we need to do whatever we can to rest our minds, to get peace of mind, that the irrational belief we've got going on in our head is just that, an irrational belief. But on the way out, Jason said, I bet you've never done this something this stupid before. And I said, au contraire, I've done plenty of stupid things like this before. I did use the word crazy, though. I'm not stupid. Oh, crazy. Yeah, you did crazy. Okay, well. I don't like a little different. Well, I don't like to use the word stupid because a lot of times people will say, boy, I'm stupid or something. And the fact is, is that it's not stupid. It's ignorant. If you don't know to know, then you don't know. And that just means that you have the opportunity to learn and to discover, which is what I did a good portion of my life growing up. Yet, I digress. So... You know, but I had a lot of suspicious moments when I was in my relationship with Jerry. And I don't think that we've talked a lot about Jerry in previous podcasts. And, you know, that'll probably take the novella version of Beauty and the Shrink to get through all of that. (laughs) But one of the things um, that was really, it really bothered me and was really, um, I really had a lot of suspicion. Um, Jerry was in the military. I worked at the UCSD microbiology lab. I don't know if you guys know, but in the military, Jerry was in a submarine. So they would go out under the water for like days on end. And then when they came back from being under the water on days on end, and a lot of the times when they would um, um, dock, the captain or the commander or whatever you call the person in charge, would say, okay, your leave starts at noon. I was at work, and I was so suspicious. At the time, you know, it was kind of like, am I being irrationally suspicious, or are there real suspicions here? Because to be perfectly honest with you, and I learned this over time, and there are so many stories to share, I think I've learned that my suspicions were not irrational in the beginning, even though I didn't have really any evidence to back it up. But did you think it was something in your gut that told you that? Yeah. And that's why I say, you know what, if you feel it in your gut, you need to act on it and at least... Have peace of mind. Have peace of mind. Exactly. So when Jerry would call me at work and say, okay, we get to stand down and, you know, we're getting off at noon. So he was off at noon. I was at work you know, working until five in the evening, suddenly I would get sick. So I was sick 
I need to go home. So I would use some of my sick time and I would go home and I would be there to make sure that there was no monkey business going on without me knowing about it because I was going to be at work for another four or five hours. So would he be home when you got there already? Actually, to be honest with you, no. He wouldn't be. And so I wasn't sure whether he came home while I wasn't there, which was perfectly fine with me because the other alternative was he was out seeing somebody else. Or the other fear was that he was going down to the um, bookstore and either meeting somebody or using quarters to watch, you know, the movies and then you know what goes on and all that stuff. (laughs) So I had lots of safeguards and I, we, we had to do laundry. So, um, you know, when guys believe me, this was like 20 years ago, I've grown up since then, but you know what, that's what you get when you're some semblance of codependent or don't want to be in a relationship to begin with. But we would have the quarters for our laundry and I knew how many quarters were in there. And it, you, it took quarters down at the bookstore to watch the, um, the movies. Yeah. So I'd count the quarters. Oh, I, you know what, I, I left room for anything because then I counted the quarters and there weren't as many quarters in there. So then my mind leapt to that. So then when he finally came home, I would sort of inquire and sort of wait to see, well, I went to wash the car because you have to use quarters to wash yes. the car as well. So if he didn't bring that up, then my mind went here. <laughs> and if he brought that up, then I went out to check to make sure that the car had been washed. Now. If I got home and he was home and he said he was going out to rent a movie, I had already, I knew where we rented the movie from. It was Blockbuster. It was, you know, um, the closest one to our house. I had already driven that from our house to Blockbuster and and back. And I knew how much time it took to get there and back. Wow. So I would um, say, okay, go get a movie. And I would sit there and I would wait. And a lot of the times it took longer than it was my time. So then in my mind, I sort of had to rationalize, well, maybe he took extra time looking for movies or... Maybe he saw a friend. Maybe saw a friend. Or maybe he went and got the movie and then went to the peep show and then came home and all the rest of that stuff. So you asked me on the way out, have I ever done anything crazy like that? And yes, I have done crazy stuff like that. But like I also tell you, I don't think you people think that I'm all that crazy. I think I had my gut to rely on, and therefore I knew something that I really didn't know where it was, but I knew where it was going. So anyway, that's my story of suspicion that wasn't, that was way more crazy than what you were thinking. But the bottom line is you got your peace of mind, and that's all that counts. So now, hit me with your well, best I, shot and give me well, your listen, suspicion about me. I have, I have me. two really short ones, because you made me think of my ex. He used to, and mind you, if I'm 30 and he's 22, I always had to understand that he was younger. I, after a while, I was 32 and Jerry was 26, so there you go again. So I always tried to take the initiative that he was younger, and I would be really understanding to certain things. It took me a minute to get over the fact that he liked to just, when we went out, find somebody that he's dancing with and make out. Like, he would tell me, like, it doesn't mean anything. It's just kissing somebody. But it really took me a minute to be like, that's okay, I guess. Well, especially if you're not used to it. I know you're going home with me. Especially if you were used to it. Now, I look back on that, not to interrupt you, but the fact is, is that if I were in a relationship like that now, not the relationship that you and I are in, but a relationship like that aside from us, 
I would have a whole a totally different perspective right. on it. It wouldn't bother me because we were young. Yeah, like the first thing you know, she'd rather your partner be home taking care of it themselves than out doing it somewhere else. Like I wouldn't even care. But that was the whole thing is that right. if he didn't take care of it himself, that was your. Then that was my um, my your button, cue your to say your... okay because I knew he was an he was a very sexual type individual. So anyway, so then I graduated to this whole thing where it was, this was the time that you went on Yahoo Messenger and you could video. And he liked doing that. Videoing with whom? In chat rooms with other guys. This was before like Scruff and Grinder and yes, all that stuff. Way before so, all that. So how, do you, how did you, how did he or anybody contact people on Yahoo? With, were there kind of like... You, you could have adult website? chat rooms. You uh, have like gay men chat rooms. Oh, Okay. And if you're looking for this and you're looking for that and you see each other on camera, then you could... But, you know, it, his defense was always like, I'm not doing anything. They're on a video. So, anyways, he hid it for a long time. And that's what was the problem. But there a couple a of times... Of, there he, are a lot of people who would disagree with he that. He kept concept. it. And I kind of did because I'm like, if you're in that mood and you'd rather be on the camera than coming to get me to help you with your mood that you're in, why do you need to go on a camera? You didn't consider that cheating? I did at the time, but... I don't know what changed him. I think then maybe I tried to experiment with it. <laughs> this was not my thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. not my thing. I couldn't get into the whole. Well, it's still not your thing. He wanted to have this alternative, dirty character that he could do on there. Right. But he said that was innocent, and it was not cheating, because it was just over camera, and I just I had well, a real problem with it for a while. But. Well, to be honest with you, I think that Jerry probably would say that it, it, it was something totally different, and it wasn't cheating, if you're, you know... I don't know that people just do that and don't actually do stuff. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, look where it led. Well, He true. cheated on me, and now he's married to the guy who cheated on me for the last 20 years. So it does wow. lead, and so looking back on it, but there were so mm -hmm. many things... In between the moment and that cheatation, as Wendy Williams would say, that I should have been paying attention. I was paying attention, but I rationalized it all away. So anyway, with regard to Jerry, we have plenty of more things to talk about there. But well, my silly one, just with you, is I don't, I can't even think why at this time why this made me do this. How this long is, ago was it? This is probably a year ago. It was. I had her, and I've had her. It'll be Miss, two years come February. Miss, Miss Kitty. Kitty. And so I know I was bringing her over one Tuesday and it was the routine. I have no idea why I felt this way because I just don't think, I think we grow day after day. Well, just for reference, Tuesday night is Miss Kitty's night to come over and have a slumber party with me. Because Jason works. from Tuesday to Wednesday. Yeah, because Jason works at Retro Room. And now she's here a little late, a day and a half when we record on a Wednesday. So anyways, I think I was getting used to your routine at that time. I knew that I brought her over at 2.30, and actually it was 2 then, I think, in the beginning. And I knew you had to have a client by 2.30 or 3, and for some reason this day that I brought her in, you were in this rush, and you barely even greeted me, and you you had to go. I was like, what the heck? I had to leave here. And my mind just went like, oh my god, where's he going? Maybe he has something that he goes to do that's his <laughs> you know what I mean my oh, mind true. went in all these places because then I went because I do tell you to come over around 2.30 or 3 and the crazy the, the craziest part about me is I went to McDonald's and then I just drove back that way to see if you were home yet you still weren't home 
And then I did some other errand, and I was like, my God, he's been he's been gone like over an hour. Okay, I just, I'm getting, I'm just going home. Like, I don't know what you were doing. So you you were, probably went to a doctor's appointment or something that day. So you, you were just were, in a hurry. Well, you know, look, <laughs> uh, uh, and, I, and I still do that now because if, and I did it the other day when um, the maid was here. I had to go to the pharmacy to pick up a medication, and I got up right at 2, and I needed to get down there because I had a client at 3. So I hurried and rushed out of the house because I had to go to the pharmacy to get what I needed to get. Then I had to get to the ATM to get the money for the maid. And then I had to get to McDonald's um, for my mother's um, lunch and I'll be back. For your client at. Well, I actually had to get back by 2.30 because I want to keep the maid on a, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on a schedule and say, you need to be out by 2.30 because I could have a client at 2.30 and I don't want her to get lax about the whole thing. So it could have been one of those days when I just decided that, uh, and 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 now I think you know me by now that that's kind of like way out of the. But when I even think, but I, when I even think that now, I don't even know what happened in my brain that day. I really can't even explain what made me even think. I don't know. Well, that would make sense. But it's stupid. Like I don't even. It's not stupid. I don't even know why it went there, but. That's over a year ago. But that would be considered kind of like a learned behavior. Right. Is that it but was the a- difference was I would have cared with you. Remember when you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's self sabotage if you cared. But I wasn't trying to sabotage anything. No, you were just trying, doing that. You were just trying to get to the information. And part of me thinks that maybe you're kind of thinking, I'm hoping that I find what I think. So that will be my. Because, okay, so. Here's an here's another interesting. Then story it would have made a, more sense to me. Yeah, I can admit that. And it would have given you the opportunity that time, to say I'm done, which leads me to believe I'm sort of on the fence. Anyway, on that note, why don't we take a break uh, for a commercial? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Pyromedia Network. Pyromedia Network is a progressive moving platform to give a voice to those who feel don't have one. PMN's core mission is to provide a safe and positive creative space for creatives to flourish to their highest potential. For more information, please visit www.pyromedianetwork.com. JJ, um, a friend of mine, sent me a message. Um, He lives in Palm Springs now. Hey, JJ, shout out. Um, I used to date JJ back in the day. We were dating, and then a friend of his, Mark, came over to JJ's apartment. I don't know whether I've told you the story or not. I know the story. Yeah, you You can share with the listeners. Okay. So Mark came over, and Mark was apparently JJ's straight friend. And so we were all talking together. And then for some reason, Mark and we'll I decided that I was going to take Mark home or someplace, you know, just to drive him someplace. And we ended up going to La Jolla and sitting and watching the waves. Then all of a sudden, we started making out. Then all of a sudden, we went back to my place. Things and then all happen. of a sudden, Mark's not straight anymore. Mark's gay. And then Mark and I started dating. So that was the Reader's Digest condensed version of that. But what I'm trying to get Poor to, JJ. Yeah, poor JJ, because JJ didn't, didn't know what was going on, because that same night, JJ came over to my house, and Mark was there. And we were sort of sitting on the couch with the blanket over us, naked underneath. And JJ, you know, came in, and we're talking and everything, and we're just sort of carrying on, blah, blah, blah. And so then JJ leaves, and then Mark and I are there. But then over like a couple of weeks or something, it was up to Mark to tell JJ what was going on. And I remember this night like it was just yesterday. It was in the brass rail called The Rail Now. 
in Hillcrest, and Mark took JJ into the men's room to tell him, and then they both came out. And I remember that JJ was devastated, Mark was devastated. I was just, you know, me. It was just kind of like it was all about me. That was that was me. That, it, it really was all about me. And then I was never, never respectful of Mark either because I would see other people on Mark when Mark would stay home. I would make up these stories. Mark would stay home. I'd go out and say, I'm just going to go out and I would, you know, see other people and stuff. But I was looking for a way to get out of the relationship with Mark. But see, I'm the type of person, I was the type of person, I'm not the type of person now. Now I'll just say I don't want to be in a relationship with you and it's done. But back in the day, I couldn't just say, I want to get out of the relationship. I would wait for something catastrophic to happen so that I could say, see, I knew we shouldn't have been together. So what happened was one day we were driving in the car and I think Mark was getting a little suspicious or whatever. And so we started a fight and he drove up into my parking um, um, space, which was on a hill at the Georgia Street Apartments. And I got out of the car. He threw a plastic bottle of Pepsi at me. It went in front of the car. I went in front of the car to get the bottle of Pepsi before I was going to go up the steps to go to my apartment. And he stepped on the gas and tried to run me over. <laughs> I jumped out of the way of the car. Oh my God. I immediately went upstairs and I called his number and I said, you tried to run me over. I think we need to break up. Oh my God. That was the reason. That there was my catastrophic reason. Not, How can not, I'm going to call the police? No, report. no. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Now we can break up. Oh my it was God. like this. I, I mean, I don't know whether it was like a self fulfilling prophecy or whatever, but it was like I was waiting for the opportunity, and that's the way that I've been with a lot of my past relationships. I wait for something that's indisputable to happen so that I can say, "Well, this happened, or you did this to me." I think we need to break up now. And the reality was I just wanted to break up so I could have my freedom to go out and fuck with somebody else again. I was not a very nice person, and I'll admit that. But that's... Well, thank God you're not waiting on something catastrophic to happen with me. But that... but that, I think we all know that's not going to happen. But that was when I was like 25, 26 years old. So we change a lot. They're up to a lot of worse things nowadays. What's that, that age? That age yeah, group, sure. I to a lot of worse things. Yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, that's one story. Now, let's talk about the fat shaming Suspicious thing. Suspicious Private eyes. So I was watching The View the other day, and what was interesting was is that The View, and let me find um, here where it was. I, I saved the bookmark. The View was talking about um, Bill Maher. Of course, we all knew who Bill Maher is, and we also know who James Corden is. I don't know whether you're familiar with the exchange or not. Yeah. But they were talking. You know the story? I know the, both those guys. Oh, both those guys. But Bill Maher um, said that fat shaming needs to make a comeback. And basically his re- rationale for saying that was, is that it's a way of holding people accountable for being fat or for being overweight. He says, we shame people for not wearing seatbelts. We shame people for doing other things to hold them accountable. Why don't we fat shame to keep people accountable for being overweight, obese, or fat? Which, in my opinion, sounds very irresponsible. And James Corden, 
who is not one of my favorites because I can't stand carpool karaoke. Um, but he came back and said something like, being fat isn't a birth defect. Nobody comes out of the womb needing to buy two seats on the airplane. And what he said was, I thought, very profound. He said, you're so concerned about shaming someone for what goes in their mouth, and you should be more aware of what comes out of your mouth. <laughs> And I thought that was the perfect thing because wow. it triggered me when I heard that because I... And so he and Bill Maher were arguing about it? Well, no. Like um, face to face? No. Bill Maher said what he said, to each other. Bill wow. said okay. what he said on his talk show. Gotcha. And James came out and said what he said on his talk show, which I admire James for saying what he said, even though I still don't like carpool karaoke. Well, he's a little chubby. And that's what he said. We don't come out of the womb wanting to buy two seats on the... Right. Um, on the airplane or Things something happen. like that. So the bottom line is, is that it triggered me in thinking about my life story because not only was I skinny shamed, but I was also fat shamed and I also have fat shamed somebody else. So taking it in order, and you know this as well, up until my first year or whatever of college, I weighed 98 pounds. And all through junior high and high school, and everything I was picked on for being 98 pounds. And it wasn't until, well, let's back up a second. The skinny part of it really would have worked for me if I'd have gone, if I'd have realized what was going on when I was I'm a Pepperdine. Twink. Yeah, I was a twink at Pepperdine my first year there. And all the guys, I must have been put, put in the gay dorm, they all wanted to try to get with me. I had no idea what gay was, I had no idea what sex was, and now I think back on it, and I can remember that like it was yesterday, and I thought, I'd have made out like a bandit if I'd have realized, number one, what gay is, <laughs> what sex is, and what a twink is. But I didn't, and therefore, that was fun that I lost out on. When, when I got out of um, Pepperdine, I only lasted a semester, because I was 16, 17 years old, but I discovered that you could gain weight by going to the gym and eating. I never <laughs> ate. <laughs> so I started going to the gym, and what was interesting was I was a twink at the gym as well, too. So now the guys at the gym were trying to get at me, and I still had no idea what was going on. So I missed out on opportunities then as well. But I started eating. Ultimately, I developed an eating disorder where I would eat and eat and eat and purge and eat and eat and eat and go to bed and purge and get up and eat and eat and eat. I went from 98 pounds to 168 pounds in three months. Oh my God. My stomach stuck out. My butt stuck out. My grandmother told me one day when I was going up to the neighbor's house to um, babysit the kids, and I was walking up the hill, and she told me when I came back, she goes, I see you out the kitchen window walking up the hill to go babysit the girls, and I can't tell whether you're coming or going, based on the fact that my stomach was sticking out and my butt was sticking out. So then I, so then I started being fat chained, right? So oh I, but I didn't understand. because then 70 pounds in three months? Yes. Because I developed the eating disorder, and I would just wow. eat, neat, neat, and purge, neat, neat, neat. But people started calling me fat, and I loved it because nobody ever called me fat before. They only called me skinny. Until I finally realized that being called fat and being fat like I was was not healthy. So then, when I went into the hospital, remember for my gynecomastia, then I stapled out at like 145, and that's kind of where I was for pretty much my younger life. Now, I also talked about the fact that I fat shame, and I will own up to that because I think we've talked about my bestest friend in the whole wide world, Vicky, who lives in Carmel now, 
but she used to live in San Diego, and Vicky was tall and majestic, big boobs, skinny, gorgeous. She would do, do her nails, she would do her hair, she would dress to the nines and everything. And then when she decided to move back to Carmel to live with her mother, I hadn't seen her for like maybe half a year, maybe a little bit longer. And so when I went to visit her in Carmel, I was absolutely surprised that she had gained a tremendous amount of weight. And it was a surprise to me. And with my ignorance, what I tried to do was to, there's no other way to say it, that shame her into trying to get her to lose weight. And the interesting thing that happened was, because Vicky is very intelligent and very strong-willed, and very mindful, nobody's gonna tell me to do anything. If anything, it pushed her in the direction of, if you tell me I can't, I'm going to. That was a learning lesson for me in my ignorance and my um, being very juvenile about the entire thing. And I own it to this day, and I'm very apologetic for doing something like that. Vicki and I are in a great place now, and I, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but it's the reality of being ignorant, whereby people like Bill Maher are saying these things without realizing this is hurting a lot of people. I get his statement, but maybe it shouldn't be out loud. Why do you get that statement? Like, I mean, if you... I'm saying, but you don't say that when you have all those people that listen to you. Maybe that's just an opinion that you keep to yourself. Well, okay, but he said it. and you said Exactly, you, that's but, what I'm saying. But you said you get his opinion. I mean, well, but there's a better way to get people to want to lose weight, not shame them. So what you're saying is I don't agree with that shaming. No, I okay. don't agree with it by any means. Right, but that's what he was saying. He's trying to create he said, some reason. He said that shaming should make a comeback because that's how we're going to be people no. honest and keep them from um, getting obese, fat, or What's whatever. another alternative? But there are a lot of people out there who don't have a choice and there's people too in, that have thyroid issues that right. can't control it. That's and, right. Or they try so hard. But you know, in this day and age with the, with the plus models and the various other people, you can be overweight and be very healthy. Well, let me uh, the same thing with doing drag. You know, when I was bigger. But okay, so nobody ever fat Stop for me. a second. Stop for a second because that's exactly where I was leading with this so that you have your part in this story because... The next place on my checklist was, I see with the drag community and the drag shows, there are drag queens that are all shapes and sizes and all over the place. I want you to share with me. It's pretty all-inclusive. Yeah, I, uh, share with me what fat shaming within the drag community or whatever. There is. Because we I know there's fat shaming within the gay there community. There is, but when it happens, it's when we see it happening. Does that make sense? No. Like, if I just meet... Cornbread, and she's a big girl. I, I don't, her. I don't know her any different. So there's nothing wrong with that to me. I love her. When I see somebody like Jamaica, and she used to be skinny, but I see her getting fatter and bigger, then there's a little judgment. I'm not saying necessarily for me. I'm saying people are talking about like, girl, she's getting fat. Who did you see? But but okay, so I understand that. But okay, so if you've got <clears throat> somebody who's going from skinny to getting bigger. And she's being shaded and talked about behind her back. But then you've already got someone who pops up on the scene like Cornbread, who is wonderfully talented and a big girl. And let's just say, like I can say, dude, like down to work, she carries it well. 
But she also went and it's to skinny, about, and then she got bigger. It's about being confident in who you are. So what about this girl that everybody's Delta going, girl, never got she's getting bigger. Isn't she allowed to get I bigger? I think she can, but like the person I'm thinking of, and you know how we can um, quote-unquote read each other or tease, it comes up sometimes as a joke. Like, girl, you better get some new hip pads because your stomach doesn't match, or it'll be said right out. So you're supposed to... Take and that as a joke. That? Take that as a joke, but also take it as I'm your friend, so I'm trying to tell. I don't know. It's confusing. It's really confusing. Because I don't make comments like that. I notice when somebody's gained weight or lost weight, I'm the opposite. When I weighed 250 pounds at one time, I'm the opposite, getting little. Did anybody fat shame you? I don't really, I can't really say that they did. But then when it turned around when you lost weight, then everybody was bringing up. Well, not everybody, but some people. But, oh, yeah. we know that diet. Well, because you know the thing is, she's doing drugs. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, okay, exactly. yeah, right. But <laughs> when I went, when I when I got went from 98 pounds to let's forget about the 168, but when I leveled out at 145, people were coming up and telling me all the negative things they said about me behind my back when I was 98 pounds, and I know that they were doing it to be my friend or some semblance of helpful or something. But the way that it internalized in my brain, I can never get back to the way that I was before because if I did, I'd know all the things that people were talking about me behind my back. True. So I don't understand why somebody who's skinnier, who gets larger, gets judged, whether it's internal or external or hey girl and it really trying to well, tell you. Well part of it you gotta understand too and that's then there's part a, of drag that it's But then but then there's a They say that's how we out. build these tough skins. That's how we grow these tough skins. You have to have tough skin to be a drag queen. You have to be able to take it and hear the truth and not of course and I believe that and that's all true, but I don't feel the when, need to but not when you're hearing that. Right. And not when you're hearing the truth from your own sisters. Right. That must hurt a lot. Because with all the different sizes and shapes and everything, live and let I live. I know, it's a toughie. Because it, it's not a practice of mine, but I hear it. And it's even, it's said as a joke. I mean, but if she can turn around and say, well, you know, your makeup looks horrible tonight. Oh, well, you look like you're gaining weight. Like, I don't know, where's the, that's just how dry it can be. Does, just, does anybody really mean it to be mean? I don't think it's meant to be malicious. Please, I don't think you can say that of all the queens. But it depends who says it. Like I'm saying, it just depends who says it. What if one RuPaul drag girl says it to another? In a different season, let's put it that way. But they're allowed to get away with stuff like that. But what, but what does it mean? Is it helpful? Is it shady? Is it... It depends on who says it to who. It really does. Does that make sense? Like if Morgan McMichaels can say that to her best friend, Mayhem Miller... Girl, you're gaining some weight. She's her friend. She's helping her. Right. But if an arch emesis of Morgan, somebody she just is known to not get along with, says, you're getting fat, then that's like war. Oh. Like, that's just trying to, okay. that's just trying to okay. start drama. So it really just depends. What may or may not happen in the future, you sort of have to live your life basically with what you've got right now. And if you mm -hmm. sort of put on like 20 or 30 or 40 pounds and you're living your life and you're happy and all that stuff, then you don't focus on the day. I'm not going to do anything like headshots or anything until I lose the 40 pounds. Then you're diminishing the quality of your life today. Because who knows? You may do the headshots at this weight and get the part that you never thought you'd have. 
uh, right. at this way. Because you're exactly what they were looking yeah, for. Because you're exactly what they're looking for. And I think that goes back to what you're saying is she was meaning that as something very oh, helpful and constructive as well. And it's honest. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to, I think I understand what you're saying. As opposed to, so, oh, it looks great. And then have everybody else be like, oh, that looks horrible. Or it looks great and then going behind their back and saying, do you see what that does to their hips? Or or even, you know, somebody who doesn't like the other person saying, I like the coat, but you the, look fat. The same thing when I was honest with you about putting that self-tanning lotion on your face. Yeah, I know for sure. Because <laughs> I knew people would be saying stuff if you went out like that. Well, no, it's true, and I and you notice I stopped using it right after. It's orange, and it gets in your ring, your every yeah. crevice again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I know. But some people still choose to use it. Well, we know <laughs> one, right? And it looks horrible. I don't know if there's such a thing, a product like that, that's going to look right and look natural. I just don't believe in it. But then, uh, then it begs the the question for me, why don't you tell this person that they look orange? I mean, Rump is saying the reason why he looks orange is because of all these energy-saving bulbs, which, oh, okay. Jesus, I saw so, that. I'm like, whatever. Yeah, so the sun must be made of some big energy-saving bulb, because even when he goes out in the sun, he looks like an orange turd. <laughs> so what I'm wondering is, why don't you tell this particular well, I know person? Why I don't tell that person, because they can't take honesty. I just realized that recently. Well, and that's true. They turn it against you. And if then you turn sudden, honest, yeah. me being honest against me, yeah. I just don't have any need to tell yeah. you anymore. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. I would tell you as a friend if you knew how to take the truth. But if you don't, I'm done. So is there anything else? Uh, so I do want to tell you about this dream I had last night. And I, it, at, the, at the cost of sounding really crazy, this is really just what I dreamt last night. I remember important people being there, and I don't really have dreams that I, I really feel the need to wake up and find out what it means. But I know somebody I knew had some weird... I can't tell you that it was you or somebody... I can't tell you, but this was somebody I knew had this devastating accident, and all I remember is their head was decapitated, and it was next to their body. And it was... It was pretty much a nightmare I could like tell you this and I'm laughing now because it's so bizarre so anyways everybody's freaking out there's this pandemonium and there's this craziness going on and somebody says um put his head by his body and for some reason I saw it like start re you've coming been, back to life you've been watching Dark Shadows no I, it, my, some of this probably has to do with me watching a lot of Walking Dead lately <laughs> I don't know why but so I'm trying to tell everybody this thing, this body, even though we know him and this, I don't know what happened, but somebody chopped his head off. It's like reconnecting to his body. And I just know that it's going to jump up and not be the same person. And before I can even tell anybody, this thing stabs me like in the chest. So the rest of my nightmare, I'm running around trying to think I'm dying. And people are trying to get me to the hospital. I finally do. And they just look at me like, oh, you're going to be okay in a minute. But take these meds and sit down. Over and I'm thinking, I'm stabbed in the, not in the heart, but in the chest. I'm bleeding. I don't really dream this vivid this much that I knew I'm looking at myself soaked in blood. But everybody was so calm. And, oh, you know, you're going to be fine. Take these meds before we get you to surgery. Just relax. And I'm really thinking, like, what the fuck is going on? Do you think this would be an emergency surgery? So I'm finally, I, I really think I can't take it anymore. And I know how to wake myself up. And I just woke myself up. Because it was so devastating. This dream was insane and, and did, crazy. And did you think about it at all? 
No, so I was thinking about this. I thought I'd seen something about it before, but I'd look up dream interpretations, da 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 Being stabbed has something to do with my control or my control in certain things or relationships or I'm feeling inadequate. And I'm like... But oh, so I ha- I've been thinking about this off and on all day. And but like, what am I... But that kind of makes sense to me. But there's a bigger component of this. The head being chopped off, lying by the body. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, somebody telling you to put the, the head it close comes to the alive. body. But it comes alive as a different person. And it stabs me. Which would, in my mind, come together as, based on your saying, the, the control thing with the stabbing. But it would also mean to me that there's a two-face Thing involved in this a person was one way at one time and then all of a sudden they turn into a different type of person and I can think of one incident that you just had where this particular person went off on you and totally did a 180 which was mm-hmm. a two-faced type thing so I'm just saying having taken a dream analysis well, I'm already thinking of two more but you see where I'm going with the two-faced component yeah, but it, it's a whole different interpretation. So, supposedly, what I read, if you're stabbed in the front, it said something about your awareness, as opposed to it said in the back where you're completely unaware of what's going on. But that, but so, that, but that fits in exactly with, with what we were talking about. The two-faced of this person and the one-eighty of this person, who is literally stabbing you in the front. By telling all these things right. to you right True. in your face, in a very hostile and negative way. So why do we need? Why does our brain need to dream that? Because you need to get it out. Is it to remind yourself? No, it's because you need to get it out, and that's good. You got it out, okay. and, and that's the other component of dream analysis. Not you don't hold it in; you share it, and then you try to understand it. So now, but I had to wait, and I don't know what this is because I don't talk to many people about their dreams or whatever and when I tell them I can wake myself up they're like how do you do that well with dream analysis oh my that, gosh. that's kind of like the, the 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 technique is that okay I remember parts of the dream well when you remember parts of the dream and you wake yourself up write about it right then and there because a lot of the times we don't remember our dreams the next day mm-hmm. but if you remember, remember parts of it more than likely you're going to pick up the same dream either when you go back to sleep or you're going to pick up the same dream the next night or something like that Um, and you write about it and you continue to do the same thing until you come to a point where you put the thing together and you understand it and now your brain has no reason to dream about it anymore because you've understood the meaning and usually they're just stuck like that was definitely a nightmare I really think that this has something to do with you being well, that's true. Berated because what I, and because what I was just talking to you about tonight earlier, that hadn't happened yet. I mean, maybe it's in my subconscious. But it sounds like the dream happened after the encounter. Right. Yes. Well, but see, that's the interesting component, too, when I'm talking to my clients. When I have the next panic attack, and I go, well, wait one second. Don't anticipate that you're going to have another panic attack. I think you will. But yes, because you're training your brain to get ready for the next panic attack. Right. And the reality of it is, first of all, there's no such thing as a panic attack. A panic attack, quote-unquote panic attack, is just being worried about having this, quote-unquote, panic attack that creates the anxiety. 
It's just a heightened sense of anxiety. It's just labeled wrong. Is that what you mean? What's that? It's just labeled wrong? It's just the general... You know, it's like people... Because I've heard people say panic attacks are real. They happen. But you're just explaining what makes it happen. Yeah. An overdose of anxiety makes this quote-unquote panic attack, but there's really no... Like, you have anxiety that you deal with, but I've never known you to have a panic attack. No, because there's no such thing as a panic attack. I can get a heightened sense of awareness uh, or anxiety... And when okay, I was, you like and hyperventilate or like that's a heightened sense of anxiety. When you start getting a heightened sense of anxiety, okay. you start being able to not. You're breathing too much. You're hyperventilating. You're bringing in too much oxygen into your body. So what you do is you put a paper bag over your nose and your right. mouth, and you start breathing into it. So it limits the amount of oxygen and it um, it calms you down. But there's no definitive definition of panic attack. Okay. It's just an overwhelming anxiety that everybody's just decided to so call it. So shouldn't it be better if we just got an anxiety attack? Yeah. Some people call it that, yeah. don't they? Yeah. I had an anxiety attack. Yeah. yeah. That, that would be exactly the way that it is. But but I think the reason why people call okay. it a panic attack... take a Xanax or something to is, calm down. Or... Is because people start to panic when they're having an overabundance of anxiety. I remember when I was having my tremendous anxiety... Um, before the Celexa kicked in, I never really had this quote-unquote panic attack whereby I couldn't breathe or anything like that. I was just going through this heightened anxiety, and I had to deal with it the best way that I could. And it was like, go for a walk. Well, I'd go for a walk for like 10 minutes, but then I need to escape back into the house. Um, the anxiety, and I posted about this on Facebook, decreases substantially as evening comes and as night comes. Because we're expected... Because you're a vampire. We all know that. Well, yeah, I'm a vampire. Because you're but, burned But we're expected <laughs> to, by everyone around us, to be this particular type of person during the daytime. You've got to work. You've got to accomplish. You've got to um, achieve. You've got to do all these things. And so if you're having anxiety about not being able to do all these things because you're having anxiety, then it's going to create more anxiety. That makes sense, right? But as the evening gets closer and closer, evening time is the time to relax, to not have to kick back and do nothing. So then it's kind of like subconsciously, it lessens because I don't have so much expectation on me to do all these things that people expect of me. But then my anxiety resurfaces again when it's time to get up. To live the day again. again. It's kind of like, oh my God, my anxiety's gonna come back. Mm And I have to prove to myself, okay, no, it's not going to come back. It may come back, but I can handle it. I can't say people that don't have anxiety, it's worse when we do. Like, can you almost say you're prepared for it when you're going to have it? Does that make sense? I'm never prepared for it. And I can say that because being never prepared for having anxiety causes me anxiety. Because I never know when something's going to trigger me. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, even kind of like tonight, I was feeling a bit of anxiety, thinking to myself, okay, we're supposed to be recording around 11, and Jason's not here yet, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, now I can feel the anxiety, because what time is he going to come, and how long is it going to be? And then I have to talk to myself and say, what difference does it make? But don't you realize when I say 11-ish... That means I'm waiting on you to... No, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. 
I just okay, thought well, it now meant, you know that. I thought I, I just thought it meant I'll be there somewhere around the eleven. Okay, 11 but usually you're time. really firm about when you want it to be. That's why I don't. Oh. Like you would normally let me know. Okay, she's in bed. The door shut. Okay, yeah. come over. And then of course she stays out longer. So to, that's what I was waiting on. Yeah. Right. Oh, I, I don't mean to saying. give you anxiety over that. No, eleven-ish oh. means the same thing as like, what time is the um, now serving the children start at Chill Bar, in Palm Springs, eight-ish because it's drag time. Nobody's waiting for permission. That's just the way that drag Who's shows that? are. You're saying that? Hey, believe me. I, now, now I'm a drag husband. I've experienced that drag shows never start on time. They're supposed to. Well, they don't. And, be. and that's the reason why I tell people the show starts 8-ish. And then you scold me by saying, no, they're supposed to be there at 7.30 to get their seats and stuff. Well, all I know is the show starts at 8 supposed to start at 8 o'clock. Tear it in there. And because of drag time, it starts... Anywhere between eight o'clock and eight thirty. There you have it. The brain works in mysterious ways, it. and until next time. So are we done now? Can we sort of um, end these shenanigans and you go home and I'm gonna watch Power. We'll talk about Power Four. It's a great show. And running, running, and running, running, and running, running, and running.